February 20th, 2021, and you are listening to Sam Walking in the World. This is episode 49, the fastest growing podcast in all of Nulltop Terrace. As always, the thoughts of a guy who used to be unhappy, just trying to live like he wants to be when he dies. I'm grateful to all of you, and as always, thrilled as ever to hear you listening to the sound of my voice. Now, I can't promise you anything else, but I can promise you this. I'm going to have fun doing this podcast. Um, I'm not sure how it's going to turn out. I have a pretty good idea of what I'm going to talk about, so please bear with me. And I have to warn you, um, those of you who, who prefer a lot of the lifey stuff and stupid stuff, there'll be a little bit of that, but mainly this podcast is going to focus on the news of the day and my reaction to it. So... Without further ado, here is some stuff that happened. <clears throat> Parlor relaunched on a, a company called a platform called Sky Silk. Sky Silk. It's a small California-based company that apparently wants a share of disaffected conservatives who are tired of being censored on Twitter. Um, and it seems to me like it's it's going to be a good opportunity for capitalism to win again, as it always does. Um, the market will end up causing a correction in Twitter's policies. That's my guess. If Twitter truly wants to remain on the top of the social media world, uh, I would say, I mean, if you go by who voted for whom in the last election, there's about half of the country that's conservative and is currently sharing their opinions and having their discussions on Twitter, in many cases being censored from Twitter. And so uh, Parler, which is still private, they're not, publicly traded but boy when they do when they when they're open uh, what is it called IPO happens it's going to skyrocket and um, this company Sky Silk is also private it's very small so keep your eye open you investors for uh, Parlor and maybe you'll see Sky Silk first uh, but I think those are destined to take uh, at least at least a third maybe even half of the market that Twitter currently claims and, and disrespects people who have opposing opinions. It's showing that, at the very least, it's not completely open and free in terms of speech. But anyway, that happened. Um, we had kind of another snowstorm. It's snowing out right now. I was thinking about taking Sadie up for um, a trail walk, but it's, it's coming down pretty good right now. So I thought, you know what, this is the perfect time to do the podcast. Um. Uh, I had a little bout with Pepto-Bismol. I'm going to talk about Pepto-Bismol and stupid stuff. That uh, chunky yellow, I mean, uh, uh, pink thing that you drink. It's it's so awful tasting, but it's a double-edged sword. I'll talk a little bit more about that uh, when I get to it. Um, I ran across a skit that Saturday Night Live used to do called That's Pat. And it's about... It's about and androgyny. It's this person who is androgynous. And the whole joke of this skit is that you can't tell which gender she is. And he creates much humor, but I don't know if they would be allowed to do it today. But this is in the 80s, so uh, I'll, I'll play you a few clips of that and talk about it. Uh, Biden had his town hall. Um, I mean, the, the bulk of this show is going to be me playing back some of his town hall. And I'm not going to just criticize the whole thing and make fun of the whole thing. I will do that to a degree. But um, 
I want my, my wife and I actually watched it last night. We watched it on YouTube. The entire town hall um, was recorded, and we watched the video. And my wife is a very sensible person in the in the sense that in this house, of course, she's exposed to Fox News. She was exposed to Rush Limbaugh. She's mostly exposed to me. Um, but she also brought habits into our marriage that she has kept. Like she watches the Today Show. She watches Good Morning America. Um, she watches the local news. Um, and then sometimes I'm sure she watches MSNBC or whatever happens to be on. Uh, but she tends to um, receive news information as an ordinary person would. She's a pretty good barometer for me for what people who aren't really paying attention hard to politics, which is fine. Most people don't. Um, but what what um, kind of sense of what's happening um, as she sees it, and I think as many Americans see it. So we watched it together. And even she, I would say by like 10 minutes into it, he was being asked questions about COVID and his COVID relief plan. And even her, she, 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 probably is much more objective than I am when it comes to this stuff, less biased. And um, she was like, I, I don't know what he's talking about. So I'm going to play some of that for you, and we'll see how you feel about it. Um, let's see. Deep equity is a new concept that's being applied to education. Deep equity is the idea that uh, white privilege and now white supremacy is... Um, kind of stitched into the fabric of everything we do at school, every subject, and including, as we found out recently, the subject of mathematics. Mathematics is racist. And I will um, read a little bit of an article from you to you from the Seattle Times. Um, I'm sure a very right-wing paper being in Seattle. And, um, and then I'll play a clip of a person who disagrees with that. I'm an African-American woman. This, this woman's name is Dr. Let's say Swain. She's a former professor at Vanderbilt University. And she kind of sees the other side of it. She's clearly a sellout. Must be, right? But um, I will get to all of that and more um, after I take this quick break. And I think I will start with Pepto-Bismol. So I'll be back right after this. <laughs> Welcome back to Sam Walking the World, episode 49. I forgot to mention another thing that happened um, is uh, I, I think it was in California. I think Oakley, California. Um, a board of Education was on a conference call. A school board was on a conference call and they didn't realize that they, they were live to the public and they thought they were sharing private feelings about COVID and parents and getting back to school and all that. And uh, Boy, did they put their foot in their mouth. I'm sure many of you have already probably heard it, but I'm going to play it again just for posterity. But it's pretty funny. It gives you kind of an insight into how some people think about parents of children at their school district. And I got to tell you, honestly, I'm not, I don't have a clearly one-sided view of this. I'll explain to you how I kind of see both sides um, when I get to it. But first, Pepto-Bismol. I have, Pepto-Bismol works, first of all. It's gross. It's like drinking pink chalk. Um, and it has that particular taste, like that, you know, old people candy taste. Like those little pink candies that you sometimes get at your grandma's. And when you pick one up, all of them stick together. So, like, the whole cluster of candy comes out of the little glass bowl. You just, like, 
break away your one piece with the other hand, kind of put it back down. And at the time, I didn't think they were terrible. I mean, they were sweet, and and I was a kid, and so you know what the hell. So, um, but since since I've come to use Pepto Bismol to treat particularly nausea, um, I have in my mind come to associate that smell with throwing up. Now it makes sense because when I feel like throwing up. I take Pepto-Bismol. I haven't in a long time, but there was this Pavlovian response that I had to it, and it was like, I'm taking it so that I don't throw up, but as soon as I smell it, it reminds me of throwing up. And when you're at that moment where you're, it could go either way, you know, that go or no-go zone, you might throw up, you might not. And then you smell it. For me, I mean, I'm blowing chunks. Now, I don't know if that fixes the problem, Whatever it was in my stomach had to get out, and I smell the Pepto-Bismol, and I throw up. Problem solved. Um, but if I don't throw up, and I take the Pepto-Bismol, it helps. The only reason I'm talking about this right now is because last night I had one of those kind of upper stomach recurring kind of crampy pains. Like where you feel pressure building. I, I don't even know how to picture it in my stomach. What's happening as it starts to build and then goes... Oh, 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 oh. Then you kind of feel better. Maybe you fired a little. Um, but it just kept recurring. I think it might have been because I took acetaminophen on an empty stomach. So I needed to coat my stomach. So I took the Pepto-Bismol. And you'll be happy to know I just barely did not vomit. But I wish there was a way they could make it taste better. It's just, I mean, maybe they can't. Maybe in order to have the ingredients in it that does the job, it has to taste like pink chalk grandma candy but i spent too much on that um i was going to talk in lifey stuff about how um th this jordan b peterson book i'm reading i've told you about it's called the 12 rules for life um an antidote to chaos the second rule is to treat yourself like someone you're in charge of caring for um and i, I wanted to talk more about it but i have just too much other stuff to talk about but basically it's 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 true. As I examine my past, I I always feel like I was better at treating other people with care than myself. Jordan Peterson's explanation for it, or his you know his theory for it, is that is that we feel like we're not worth it. A person feels like they themselves is not worth that level of care, that quality of care. But there's something instinctive in us that makes us feel like it's worthwhile to do that level of care to someone else. And I don't know why it's true. I don't know if that's the reason why, but I definitely have felt it in my life. When my wife's children were very little, like four, five, six, seven, eight years old, um, I used to get them off the bus because my wife worked an after-school program. And that's really kind of how I got to know them. It's, it's where I really began being involved in parenting, even before we were married. And I treated them with care. I, I, <clears throat> I paid attention to what they wanted to do, felt like doing. Um, I kept them safe. Um, and, and, you know, and then I went on to not treat myself well. I had to kind of recover from that. But at no time do I really remember ever not treating them with what, at the time, I considered the maximum amount of consideration. I kind of gave myself away 
to them. It was so much easier than taking care of myself. Even simple things like brushing my teeth. I could sit there and, and coax my stepson into brushing his teeth. Tell him all the good reasons why you do it. Tell him it only takes a minute. All the best arguments for why you should brush your teeth and why it's not that big of a deal. And then me, myself, dread doing it. I don't understand it. It may be a God thing, you know, the, the big irony that you're born an individual that ought to have naturally selfish interests, except people who follow their selfish interests tend to end up unhappy. And the happiest people tend to be the people who spend their time caring for other people. It's kind of a paradox. I'm me, but I have to give myself to you, and then I can be happy. I think anyone that thinks they're happy serving their own needs is fooling themselves. But you have to take care of yourself in order to be able to care for other people. So I wanted to talk more about that, but that's what you get. Okay, now, um, first, I want to go... I want to go right to um, the Biden town hall because I probably listened to it like six times in the car. And it's just like, a, I don't know, like a 17 minute segment of it. And it's got the introduction and Anderson Cooper and their little banter and some questions from the audience. And I, I, I promise I'm not listening to this with the idea of just chopping it up. I didn't go find particular quotes. It's literally the CNN town hall from the beginning to about, I don't know, 17 minutes and 37 seconds, approximately. So, um, without further ado, and I, and uh, Milky put this all together for me, but then I messed with it, and so I never know if it's going to have the same quality as it would when Milky does it all by himself, but please bear with me on the technical stuff. I'm just the host. So, um, all right, I'm going to start this. I'm going to let it play for a little bit. And then I'm going to stop it at a point where I just can't help myself but to stop it. And I'll probably do that periodically throughout it. Probably enough to bother you, but my show. So anyway, here's how it begins. Sorry, it takes a minute. There we go. From the American people. The president will be answering questions from the American people on his first official trip since taking office. Some of the questioners here voted for him, some did not. The president and I will not be wearing masks on this stage. He, of course, has been vaccinated. Over the past several weeks, I've repeatedly tested negative for coronavirus as recently as yesterday and this morning as well. We will, however, be keeping our distance from one another. And Okay, I got to stop it right there. I've been told a billion times that it doesn't matter whether or not you're vaccinated. You have to wear the mask anyway. Have you not been told that? Yes, you can. Yes, vaccination is good, but but it's really the masking. It's really the masking that we have to focus on right now. Don't feel free like you can be free to go out there without a mask on because you've been vaccinated. So, but for some reason, Joe Biden doesn't need to wear a mask because he's been vaccinated. And the audience is very limited, socially distanced, and all wearing masks when they're seated. With that, I welcome the 46th President of the United States, President Joe Biden. Now, some people say that he introduced, made sure he said the, the President of the United States, Joe Biden. I've heard, I've heard kind of mean people say he says that so that Biden will remember that he's the president. But I don't think so. I think, I think he says that so Joe Biden will will be aware that he's Joe Biden. 
Can be back, man. And you know you enjoy being up with a baby board. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> yeah, he's nine and a half months. So I'm very happy. No, no. Everybody knows I like kids better than people. I saw a picture. Did you hear that? Just imagine for a second if, if it was Trump that just said, everybody knows I like kids more than people. The headline would be, Trump doesn't consider children people. And then this will be the first of many times that Anderson Cooper helps him out of trouble. He continues on the subject and says he recently saw President Biden with his grandchild. Like, that's a thing he says. I recently saw a picture of you with your grandchild. And Biden says, yes, yes, that's true. I do spend time with children. You with your grandson recently. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, so we got a lot of questions in the audience. We have about 50 or so people here. They're all socially distanced. We have some folks who voted for you, some folks who did not. Uh, and we're going to get as many questions in as possible. As we go along, you'll probably be able to tell when he says some people who voted for you, some people who did not. I'm guessing that there aren't that many people who voted against him. Right. I'm sure there are some people who did not vote for him, but I bet I bet a lot of those people didn't vote. Before we get to that, I just want to start with a couple of just big picture questions about the pandemic and where we are right now. Sure. Um, new cases of COVID-19 hospitalizations have fallen by half in the last month. So of new cases, that's the good news. If it were Trump, it would have been the, the data on the number of people who have died altogether. This was so far, this many people have died. It's ever growing, so it's a huge problem. Instead, cases are down, so that's good news. There's this potential threat, potential surge from uh, the variants uh, coming down the pike, potentially. When is every American who wants it going to be able to get a vaccine? All right. Perfect question. Right? Simple, clear. When is every person who wants it going to be able to get it? Listen to this dissembling. For actually, first, he makes a clear statement. Listen to his clear statement first. By the end of July. The there you go. When will every American who wants a vaccine be able to get it? By the end of July. This year. We, uh, when we came into office, there was only uh, 50 million uh, doses that are available. So there were 50 million doses available when he first got into office. Put a bookmark on that. We have now, by the end of July, we'll have over 600 million doses, enough to vaccinate every single American. When you say... When you say by, by the end of July, uh, do you mean that they will be available or that people will have been able to actually get them? Because Dr. Fauci will be available. Will they be available or will people actually be able to get them? They'll be available. I'm, I'm, I'm left wondering, what is the difference between them being available and them people being able to get them? I, I thought that's the definition of available. Are there any available? Yes. Oh, that means I can get some. Are there any tickets available for the basketball game? Yes. Oh, good. I'm going to get some. Oh, no, 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 no. You can't get some. You're not understanding. What I said was that they're available. They'll be available. Be available. Okay. Here, look. We what we did. We got into office and found out the supply. There was no backlog. 
I mean, there, 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 there was nothing in, in the refrigerator, figuratively and literally speaking. I thought he just said there were 50 million doses. Now, when you open the refrigerator, literally and figuratively open the refrigerator, I don't know how that's possible, but presuming it is, now there's none. Imagine what the fact checkers would do to Trump if this is what he was saying. And I'm sure a lot, a lot of this just slid by people. They were like, hey, nice old man talking. Happy it isn't Trump. I'm not really going to think that hard about what he's saying. And there are 10 million uh, doses a day that were available. We've upped that in the first three weeks that we were in office to uh, significantly more than that. We've moved out, went to the Pfizer and Moderna and said, can you produce more vaccine and more rapidly? They not only agreed to go from 200 to 400, then they agreed to go to 600 million doses. Why aren't they always producing as much as they can? You think of that? That's like when I when I wonder why a plane doesn't just go faster. Like you ever been on an airplane and and the pilot will say, Well, we're about seven minutes behind, but we're gonna be able to speed it up here to make up the difference. My question ends up being, why weren't you going that fast to begin with? If it's possible to go that fast, why would you go slower than that? And I guess maybe on a plane you don't want to burn the gas. But um, in, a, in a global pandemic, why these companies wouldn't already be producing the most that they can at a time? Maybe I don't get it. Maybe they just can't. And that's and, and we got them to move up the time because we used the National Defense Act to be able to help the manufacturing piece of it to get more equipment and so on. So if, if end of April, excuse me, end of July, they're available. To actually get them in the arms of people who want them, that will take, what, a couple more months? Great question. Great question. And i got to give him credit. Anderson Cooper is acknowledging a distinction between them being available and people being able to get them. I mean, I'm sure he would have been educating Trump on, on the definition of the word available, but he's helping here. He's trying to help his grandpa get through this without making too much of an arse of himself. Um. So he asks, well, so if they're not going to be available, if they're going to be available, but not ready to go in arms, what will that take? A couple more months? Well, no, a lot will be being vaccinated in the meantime. In other words, it's not all of a sudden 600 million doses are going to appear. And what's going to happen is it's going to continue to increase as we move along. And we'll have, we'll have reached 400 million by the end of May and 600 million by the middle of, by the end of July. And uh, the biggest thing, though, is you remember when you and I took night, I shouldn't say it that way. What the heck is he talking about there? I mean, I understand he's saying... The, the rate of the rollout of the vaccine, people will be taking it all the time, which does lead me to believe that, that by the end of July, everyone will have been able to take it because they'll all be taking it in the meantime. That's another thing he does. He says words that we all know, like we're hearing them for the first time. Like they're fancy technical words. Meantime. That's like, um, you know, the time going on during something. That's the meantime. In case you didn't know that. As you remember, but when you and I talked last, we talked about it's one thing that the vaccine, which we didn't have when we came into office, but the vaccinator. How do you get the vaccine into someone's arm? I've always been wondering that. 
I'm 49 years old, and I, to this day, don't understand how they get medicines into people's arms. I feel like I've been there for it a number of times, but it's just kind of a blur. I don't really, I don't really know the technical process for it. Um, but he, he's going to help help clarify it now. So you need the paraffin, you need the needle, you need the mechanisms to be able to get it in. You have to have people who can inject it in people. Inject. It's another new word for you. I want to make sure we have our vocabulary list going. Um, inject. That means uh, to to shoot in, I guess you could say, to put in, um, like a needle would inject something into an arm or, you know, a body. Inject. Write it down. That's been one of the problems of getting up people. Yes, now we have, we have made significant strides increasing the number of vaccinators. Vaccinators. See, it comes from the root vaccine, which is the medicine, and a vaccinate means to give someone the medicine, and a vaccinator, that suffix tor, that means a person who does the thing. So we have, write it down, we have more vaccinator. So the problem is we had all of these, these locations, that's another word coming up, I want to give you a preview of it, a location, that's a place where, well, really just a place. So I want you to imagine these locations, and and there are um, all of the vaccines necessary there, but we don't have enough injectors to inject the vaccines, and he's he's clearing that problem up fast. I, I, I issued an executive order allowing former retired docs and nurses to do it. We have over a thousand military personnel. The CDC is got Excuse me. The uh, um, uh, we have gotten the uh, National Guard engaged. So we have significant number of vaccinators. People would actually be there. Plus, we've opened up. A cons- they would be there. I can't let that go. They have. They're going to be there. So an injector cannot inject unless they're at the location. So they have to be there. Considerable number of locations where you there can you get the vaccination. Yeah, so just a quick review. Location is a place. I want to introduce you to Kevin Michael. He's an independent uh, from Wauwatosa. He's a mechanical He's engineer an independent. vehicle company. Kevin, welcome. Hi. What's your question? Hi, welcome to Waukee. How are you doing? Good. My question is regarding uh, education. Yes. And uh, considering the hybrid and virtual school instruction have been in place for nearly a year now, what is the plan and recommendation to get students back into the brick and mortar buildings? Um, as a parent of four children, I find it imperative that they get back to school as safely as possible. My mother would say, God bless you, son. No purgatory for you. No purgatory for you. You're not going to wait in that place in between heaven and hell while God sorts out your paperwork, figures out if you're going to go to heaven or hell. You have four children. And God knows he loves kids more than people. But he also understands, um, I guess, what a pain they are, what suffering they cause. And as a result, you will not have to wait very long um, before you go straight to heaven because you have four kids, which are better than people. I'm going to stop here before he even goes on to answer the question because I'm going to take a quick break. I don't want to get interrupted. And due to technical issues, um, I don't. I won't be able to continue without taking a quick break. So I'm going to take a quick break right now, and I'll be right back immediately. Welcome back to Sam Walking in the World, episode 49. Let us continue directly. 
Um, Biden was just asked a question about getting kids back to school. He informed uh, the questioner that he is going to go directly to heaven and not have to spend any time in purgatory because he has four kids. <clears throat> and uh, this is the answer. Four kids home. I really mean it. And by the way, the, the loss of being able to be in school is having significant impact on the children and parents as children. well. And so what we found out is there are certain things that make it rational and easy to go back to the brick and mortar building. One, first of all, making sure everybody is wearing protective gear. So they already are. So we have to make sure they are. He's talking about masks. He's talking about masks. So, so to go back, we got to wear masks. They already are. Available to students as well as to teachers, the, uh, the, 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 the janitor. That was a big problem. Janitors were walking around. I think we're supposed to call them custodians, but this is old school, Joe. And I honestly don't mind. I accidentally say janitor all the time. But actually, now it's groundskeeper. They're, they're in charge of all the grounds. Um, but uh, the big problem that has held us back from being able to send kids back to school is the janitors walking around without masks on. And now, thanks to the, the Biden administration, we're going to make sure those janitors are wearing protective gear. The people who work in the cafeteria, the bus drivers. Secondly, organizing in smaller pods, which means that's why we need more teachers. Instead of a classroom of 30 kids in it, you have three classes in that same of 10 kids. Now, I'm a teacher. Any of you <clears throat> out there who are teachers understand that buildings are already built. Your building is already built. I, I learned this the hard way because I had to carry a cart or push a cart from class to class because I couldn't stay in the same classroom because there weren't enough classrooms for everyone to have their own classroom. So there are already not enough classrooms. And his, his answer is to have, instead of one classroom of 30, to have three classrooms of 10. That means you have to, you have to create two additional classrooms. I don't know how to do that. If it were summer, I guess you could move some of them outside, but the, this is the winter. Um, and the more teachers. So we have to hire more teachers and we have to have more buildings or bigger buildings with more classrooms in order to have kids go back. How long do you think that's going to take? If it could ever happen at all, we'll look back and find out if we ever really did build more classrooms. It's each in those. It's an, I'm not making the number up. It might have less. Of course, it doesn't have to be literally ten. In addition to that, we also have indicated that it is much better, it's much easier to send kids K through eight back because they are less likely to communicate the disease to somebody else. Good. But because kids and sophomores, juniors, and seniors in high school, they socialize a lot more and they're older and they transmit more than young kids do. Now that technically is true. The younger you are, the less likely you are to transmit. But I, I teach middle school in a high school, and I I have to argue about whether or not middle school kids socialize less than than high school kids. I mean, my seventh grade and eighth graders are pretty social, so I don't exactly know where he's getting that information. It's harder to get those schools open without having everything from. The ventilation systems and and uh, uh, and having, for example, school bus drivers. You know, we may, we got to make sure that you don't have 
uh, 60 kids in the, or however many that with the pen the size of school bus sitting two abreast in every single seat. So we need more buses and bus drivers. So we need more rooms. First of all, we need masks. We got to make sure they're wearing masks. That's going to take at least a month. Then you need more teachers, more classrooms. We got to fix the problem with those janitors. And now we got to get more buses and bus drivers. And ventilation systems. You got to replace the ventilation system before we can have kids go back to school, at least high school kids. And so there's a lot of things we can do short of, and I think that we should be vaccinating teachers. We should move them up in the hierarchy as well. Now, the CDC says that teachers don't need to be vaccinated in order for it to be safe to go back to school. Basically, it goes like this. If you are a teacher in your own life and you go to the gas station, the grocery store, uh, you go out for coffee, you, vi you, you visit people you know, if you can do all of those things, there's a greater likelihood of you catch, catching or spreading the coronavirus doing those things than you are in school because children get it less and spread it less. And it's, and it's a more wide open space and whatever it is, the data shows. And I don't think this is even up for argument. The data shows that you're less likely to, to catch it as an adult, as a teacher, less likely to get it in school than you are out in the regular world. That's why his own CDC director said, I guess in her personal capacity, they kind of corrected that, Jen Psaki did. But either way, his CDC director said that teachers do not need to be vaccinated in order for it to be safe for children to go back to school, for teachers. <coughs> Excuse me, for teachers to go back to school. But he wants them vaccinated anyway, and I see the point of that. I would like for them to be vaccinated too. They should be moved up on the hierarchy. But I don't know if that's a reason to slow down the openings of school. So let me ask yeah, you, yeah. Um, your administration had set a goal to open the majority of schools in your first 100 days. You're now saying that means those schools may only be open for at least one day a week. No, that's not true. That okay, that's what they said. That's literally what Jen Psaki said. I could, I could dig up the clip and play it for you, but trust me. They said that exact thing. Now he's saying that was a miscommunication. That was reported wrong, he's going to say. It was reported wrong by his own press secretary. That was reported wrong by my administration, and I'm correcting it now. They've since walked it back, but let, let him continue. That's what was reported, and that's not true. That was a mistake in the communication. But what I'm talking about is I said opening the majority of schools in K through 8th grade because they're the easiest to open, the most needed to be open in terms of the impact on children and families having to stay home. So when do you think that would be K through 8? I think five days a week. Do you hear that? When will that be K through eight, five days a week? Again, you got to give Anderson Cooper credit. He's drawing a distinction here. The majority of schools open. The majority of K through eights open. And right now it's one day a week. So when will it be five days a week? Very specific question. Let's see if he even gets close to answering it in this rambling journey around the vocabulary. We'll be close to that at the end of the first hundred days. You'd have a significant percentage of them being able to be opened. My, we'll be close to that. What does that mean? My guess is they're going to probably be pushing to open all for all summer to continue like it's a different semester. That's the first I've heard of that. You're going to pay teachers 
to teach all summer and they're they're not going to get their summer break which i understand a lot of people complain about teachers they get so much time off and i agree but taxpayers are going to have to pay for teachers to teach during the summer and kids are not going to get a summer vacation and god if it's still online they're going to be spending their summer inside in front of a computer I don't know if he was just riffing there or that's actually what they intend because I haven't really seen any follow-up on it. But he continues. I think that would be five days a week or just a couple? I think, I, I think many of them five days a week. The goal would be five days a week. Many of them. He does this thing where he says words like the majority of and many and close to and almost and it's a plan to. No, nothing is ever nailed down. He was going to crush this virus, not your life. I, I distinctly remember that. Now, it's going to be harder to open up the high schools for the reasons I said. Um, it's just like if you notice the contagion factor in colleges is much higher uh, than it is in high schools or grade schools. Uh, Granted. Granted, dude. Answer the question. I want you to meet... Uh, this is uh, Justin Belot. He's a high school teacher from Milwaukee. He's a Democrat. Uh, Justin, uh, thanks for being with us. What's your question? What do you teach? I teach uh, English. High school English. My wife teaches. God love you. Thank you, Mr. President. So along the same lines of schools, so it's great debate on when to transition to in-person learning. While there are numerous warnings not to be in large groups or to have dinner parties or small parties, why is it okay to put students and teachers in close proximity to each other for an entire day, day after day, with large class sizes and outdated ventilation systems, how and when do you propose this to occur? Okay. Now, clearly, <clears throat> this guy doesn't want to go back to school. He's a teacher who doesn't want to go back to school. He's one of those people that says he desperately wants to go back safely. That's another way of saying, I don't want to go back. And I don't know where he teaches, but I, this is where I say I see both sides of it because I taught in a place where I didn't want to go back, where there's so much injustice and disrespect and poor treatment that it was just it was mainly suffering. And if you there was a way for you to get paid and not have to go back to the suffering, sorry, but I would take it. I don't have to even worry about it now, though, because I love my job. Finally, do you believe all staff should be vaccinated before doing so? Number one, nobody is suggesting, including the CDC in its recent out of report, that you have large classes, congested classes. It's smaller classes, more ventilation, making sure that everybody has masks and is socially... Again with the masks. ...distance, meaning you have less, fewer students in one room making sure that everyone from the sanitation workers who work in the and in the laboratories and the bathrooms and do in the bathrooms the guy asked the question should all teachers be vaccinated before we go back do you think it's a good idea to send us back and congest obviously th this teacher knows that, that the classrooms are congested he understands the limits of space in a, in a school building and then you can just snap your fingers and have extra rooms so he's imagining the scenario with full classes, as he should. And Biden magically tells him about how there's going to be these other classes with these other teachers. But more importantly, the janitors and and when they're cleaning in the bathrooms. you got to have people wearing masks in the bathrooms. The janitors. And to do the, uh, the, uh, all the maintenance that they are, in fact, 
able to be protected as well. Making sure you're in a situation where you don't have the congregation of a lot of people, as I said, including the school bus, including getting on a school bus. So it's about needing to be able to socially distance, smaller classes, more protection, and I think that teachers and the folks who work in the school, the cafeteria work and other, should be on the list of preferred to get a vaccination. Um, I want to introduce you to uh, Carrie Ingebrecht, an independent from Oak Creek. Carrie, welcome. Go ahead. Thank you. Carrie, how are you? Very good. Thank you. Our 19-year-old son was diagnosed with pediatric COPD at the age of 14. We're told he has the lungs of a 60-year-old. He does all he can to protect himself. Last month, he even removed himself from the campus of UW-Madison as he feels it's safer and he has less exposure here at home. We've tried all we can to get him a vaccine. I hear of others who are less vulnerable getting it based on far less. Do you have a plan to vaccinate those who are most vulnerable sooner to give them a priority? <laughs> I don't understand why they haven't. I don't understand why they haven't. I, I'm a, as you know, in my, in my other job, I'm a frontline healthcare worker because I work with, with kids with disabilities and, and they do have some health issues. But I was bumped way up the list. I'm already twice vaccinated. I'm only 48, 49. I'm sorry, I keep doing that. Um, so I don't understand why a kid with a with a you know pulmonary problem, respiratory problem can't isn't moved up the list. But again, Joe's answer is he's going to move him up the list. But he he gets to this rock and a hard place issue because he it's the states who determine the the hierarchy for who gets it, not the federal government. Well, the answer is yes, there are. But here's how it works. The states make the decisions on who is in what order. I can make recommendations, and for federal programs, I can do that as president of the United States. But I can't tell the state, you must move such and such a group of people up. Now, I recall this being exactly the same situation that Trump was in. Exactly. And it, at the time, it appeared that the, the press thought it was unacceptable. You must do something. You can't follow the, what is it, the, um, the Constitution. Now Biden is in the exact same position. Now he's not in the back seat screaming at the driver. He's driving, and it's a lot different. But here's what I'd like to do. If you're willing, I'll stay around after this is over, and maybe we can talk a few minutes and see if I can get you some help. No. This is a nice, it's a nice gesture. I'll help you. I can see that you're distressed. Obviously, there's a problem here that your child should be getting vaccinated and hasn't been. So I'm going to, I'm going to pull some strings as this person in power that I have. I'm going to pull some of these strings. I'm going to get you one. And that's, that's nice. If you're a parent, you, and, and if you watch the video, she even turns and looks at, I'm imagining her son in the audience saying, oh my God, honey, we're going to get you vaccinated. But what if you're the parent of, an, of a, a kid who's also in this situation? Extrapolate. There's probably millions. And because they happen to not be invited to this town hall and weren't selected to ask a question, their child goes unvaccinated. What kind of solution is that? Yay! 
Johnson and, jo uh, Johnson and Johnson could be authorized. A new vaccine from them could be authorized in a couple weeks. That would be a big deal. Yes, it would. Bringing a lot more uh, vaccines on, millions of more doses to the supply. Once that happens, given the urgency of these variants and the potential threat from them, should states stop giving priority to certain groups and just open vaccine access for everyone? Well, that's what Florida did, and they're way ahead of the rest of us. They have almost all of the old people in the country. I'm exaggerating, but many of them. And they, he, uh, Ron DeSantis was chastised because at first they there was a shortage of vaccines because when he opened it up to everybody, everyone started getting it, and then there were lines, and I, um, they gradually got more vaccines, and then they took care of the demand. But he was, he was criticized harshly for not having enough and having lines, for opening it up to everybody. Here's Biden's take. Depends on how much they have available. I think there still should be priority groups in case there are not enough for everyone, every, enough available to everybody. That's cool. And look, we don't know for certain. Let me tell you what my national COVID team has said, that the variants, the, you, by variants you mean the Brazilian strain, the South African strain, the London strain, and London, etc. There's thus far, Thus far, there is no evidence that the existing vaccinations available for Moderna and, and uh, Pfizer do not either make sure that they apply, they work as well against the strain in the United States. Okay, remember that. First of all, wow, what a fumbling, stumbling answer. I feel so, these are the moments where I feel bad for him. Oh, my God. I bet he's just a normal guy. He's just a lifetime politician, and this is what you have to do to retain your position. He's like a, he's like a political wind sail, and now it's blowing in, in this direction, so he must articulate that. If it changes direction, he must articulate that. But remember this. He said there's no evidence that the current vaccines that we have don't also protect you against any new strains that are coming. Because I have a feeling... That might end up in the future kind of crystallizing as a new reason why kids can't, can't go back to school because of these strains, which there's no evidence that our vaccines don't take care of them, protect you from them. I have a feeling we might hear something like there's no evidence that they do. And so until we have evidence that they also take care of these strains, which will take more data and definitely more time. During that time, we can make sure that we get the bus drivers and the janitors working in the bathrooms um, masks. And there is no evidence that they're not helpful. So if you can get a vaccination, you can get it whenever you can get it, regardless of the other strains that are out there. There's studies going on to determine is not only more communicable, but are there vaccine? Do the vaccines not provide helpful? protection by getting the vaccine what in the name of god is he talking about <laughs> god. there's some speculation i should i gotta be very careful because millions of people are watching this too late buddy <laughs> too late it may be that a certain vaccination for a certain strain may reduce from 95 percent to a lower percentage of certainty that it will keep you from getting... It may not be as effective as... There we go. 
kept his foot in the door. Just in case I need to go back and say that these other vaccines, these other strains um, won't be protected by the vaccine. I got that door open, too. I'm going to keep that open just in case. I hate being right, but I have a feeling I'm going to be right. Against the variant, but it still would be effective. effective. Thanks for finishing that up for me. If you're eligible, if it's available, get the vaccine. Get the vaccine. Get the vaccine. Yes, I want you to meet uh, this is, uh, Desi uh, Levy, a Democrat from Milwaukee. She's a registered nurse, former academic dean. She's also currently a director of a faith-based nonprofit. Desi, welcome. And by the way, you've heard me say this before, Becky. If there's any angels in heaven, they're all nurses. They're all nurses. There's no angel teachers, angel policemen, angel politicians, angel janitors, angel bus drivers. They're all nurses. There must be a lot of sick people up there. Male and female. Doctors let you live. Nurses make you want to live. I can. Whoa. Male and female. Sounds pretty binary. Male and female. What are those? Tell you something. Consumer of healthcare. My family. You're wonderful. Thank you for what you do. God bless you. Mr. President, hello. My name is Dr. Desi Levy, and my question to you is considering COVID-19 and its significant impact on Black Americans, especially here in Milwaukee, and thus the exacerbation of our racial disparities in health care, we have seen less than 3% of Blacks and less than 5% of Hispanics, given the total number of vaccines that have been administered to this. Okay. She's asking about the racial disparity. As you know, everything disproportionately impacts people of color. Um, it, even things like rain, people of color tend to be uh, to a higher degree on average impoverished, so they can't fix the roofs as well as someone with white privilege. So even rain. But in this particular case, we're talking about the vaccines. I want you to listen very carefully very carefully to the reasons that Joe Biden gives for why there is racial inequity in the number of vaccines taken by people of color. I'll stop it as he says each one because they can go right by. If you're not actually paying attention, you think, oh, old guy saying nice things in a nice tone. And when we talk about what racism is, remember the literal definition. It's the presumption of certain qualities and characteristics about a person or a group based on superficial uh, features. So you must be this because you're in that group. Listen to how he describes this group and the reason why they're getting vaccinated at a lower rate. Point. Is this a priority for the Biden administration? And how will the disparities be addressed? And and that's both locally and nationally. Well, first of all, it is a priority. Number one. Number two, there's two reasons for two it reasons. being the way it is. Number one, there is some history of blacks being used as guinea pigs and other experiments, as need not tell you, doctor, over the last 50 to 75 to 100 years in America. So there's a, there's a concern about getting the vaccine. With the okay. I'm sure he's talking about the Tuskegee experiments. Where, if you don't know, which you probably do, um, they had people of color 
um, and they were given syphilis or they had syphilis and they were given placebos to treat it instead of actual medications so that um, the government could study the effects of syphilis on people as they get sicker and sicker. Horrific. Horrific. Also happened 75 to 100 years ago. I'm not even exactly sure when, but I know it's not 50 years ago. And I, and I heard a, a statistic that everyone that was involved in that has now passed. So like there aren't even people alive that were involved in those experiments. So, and he's, so he's saying that the typical African-American person is is less likely to, to volunteer to be vaccinated because of the Tuskegee experiments. Or general distrust of government. Which I don't understand because they keep electing politicians who want to grow government. Have government be a greater source of involvement in their life. And again, I'm not talking about individuals. Every individual is different. But in uh, in of people of color in 95% ratios voted for Joe Biden. This is how he talks about them. Before I go on, I'm going to take another quick break. I want I, I really want to focus on this part, and I might run out of time for this segment. So I'm going to take a quick break. When I get back, remember the question was, how is um, Biden going to address the racial disparity caused by lower vaccinations among people of color? I'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Sam Walking in the World, episode 49. Let's get back right to this quickly. Um, remember now, uh, just to review the first reason why there's a, dis- a disparity um, among African-Americans taking the, the vaccine. Last reason number one, they have an irrational fear of uh, being injected with things by the government because of the Tuskegee experiments. So they're, I, I guess you could say rightfully afraid. I'm not sure. I guess it's up for debate, debate but it is that fear that African-Americans and other people of color have that is um, interfering with their willingness to take the vaccine. Biden continues. But the biggest part of it is access, physical access. That's why last week I opened up, I I met with the Black Caucus in the United States Congress and agreed that I would all, all of the all of the community health centers now, which take care of the the toughest of the toughest neighborhoods in terms of illness. They are going to get a million doses, uh, uh, you know, a week with how we're going to move forward. They're going to get a million doses a week. I thought we were giving out a million doses a, a day to everybody. So I honestly think he just stumbled enough there where he just felt like he had to say something. But he's talking about access. And so, again, apparently people of color have trouble getting access. Let's hear his solution. Because they're in the neighborhood. Secondly, we have opened up and I'm making sure that there's doses of vaccine for over 6,700 pharmacies. Because almost everyone lives within, not always walking distance, but within the distance of being able to go to the pharmacy, like when you got your flu shot. That is also now being opened. Thirdly, I also am providing for mobile mobile vans. Mobile vans. <clears throat> Get that? Mobile vans. Not stationary vans. Mobile vans. That they're apparently going to drive people of color from where they live in their toughest of the tough neighborhoods in terms of of, of getting the disease. 
uh, and the mobile vans are going to take them to the pharmacies. That's a place where they sell medicine um, in order for them to get their vaccine because it's not always within walking distance. Mobile units to go into neighborhoods that are hard to get to because people are on, for example, even though. Why are they hard to get to? Why are they hard to get to? What's what subliminally is he saying there about these neighborhoods? Well, everyone is within, you know, basically uh, five miles of a, of a Walgreens, let's say. The fact is, if you're 70 years old, you don't have a vehicle, and you live in a tough neighborhood, meaning you're it's a high concentration of COVID. I don't mean tough in any other way. Uh, I don't mean tough, tough, tough in terms of. Uh, tough in terms of, uh, of of getting the virus. I have a feeling he actually means something else. But um, apparently people of color that are 70 don't have cars. I don't know if any of you out there are of color and 70. If you need a ride, I can uh, let me know and I'll, I'll give you a ride to the grocery store wherever you need to go. But that's a pretty big presumption, isn't it? 70-year-old people of color don't have cars like to be able to walk five miles to go get a vaccine. The other thing we found is, I'm sorry to go on, but this is really important to me. The, uh, the other part portion is a lot of people don't know how to register. Not everybody in the community, in the Hispanic and the African-American community, particularly in uh, uh, rural areas that are distant and or inner city districts, know how to use, know how to get online. Are you kidding me? You know he threw rural in there so that he'd be allowed to say inner city. But he's, I don't know how many people of color live out in the rural areas. She's talking about the racial disparity. So that does relate to the inner city. And apparently, not only do old people of color not have cars, not only are they irrationally afraid of taking a vaccine because of the Tuskegee experiments, they also aren't smart enough to go online and figure out how to sign up for a vaccine. If that isn't the most insulting presumption to anybody of color, you have to be looking the other way and just voting Democrat and holding your nose. Are you kidding me? And, 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 and Trump is accused of being racist. Remember what racism is. It's presumptions about people based on their color. You're too scared, you don't have a car, and you're not smart enough. To determine how to get in line for that COVID vaccination at the, at the Walgreens or at, at, at the particular store. So we're also... I've committed to spend a billion dollars on public education to help people figure out how they can get in there. That's we're also trying to set up mass vaccination centers. I have to stop here. I have to stop it here. Are you are you kidding me? What what a disgraceful perspective. Public education, which apparently isn't doing very well, because I think I just saw a statistic in Chicago, only 33% of third graders passed the math or science test. Only 33%. So whatever this public education thing that he's talking about, 
whatever information you channel through that and try to get it into kids' heads, um, two out of three of them aren't going to get it anyway. I mean, oh, my God. I mean, oh, my God. I, I have to stop it there. Um, I'm going to um, move on to a couple things that are a lot more fun. Um, I'm going to talk about the uh, school board that get, get, got caught on an open mic insulting the parents. And I'm also going to play a clip from Saturday Night Live back in the 1980s um, regarding gender and the take on on uh, gender fluidity in the 1980s. Remember, this is Saturday Night Live, one of the pretty far left-leaning um, comedy programs, whatever you want to call it. So I will be back with all that after this. Welcome back to Sam Walking in the World, episode 49. Before I get to the, the board members embarrassing themselves and the Saturday Night Live skit, I want to do this first. Um, there, there is this... <laughs> math, is, math is racist. I don't know if you knew that. It's so funny because I've had this growing feeling that this woke culture is is um, like represents a detachment from reality. First, it's their description of the way life actually is in the world, um, and then it it just gets deeper and digs deeper and deeper toward essential realities. And if you and, and remember how important it is to follow the science. Right? We've been told again and again, you got to follow the science, which I agree with. But I've also said that the, to them, following the science is following the science when it's politically expedient. Um, this also relates to the um, Saturday Night Live sketch that I'm going to show you a part of. But it's dismantling reality. Math is probably the most agreed upon manifestation of reality. One plus one equals two. Two plus two equals four. It doesn't matter where you come from, what color you are, what gender you are, whether or not you have a disability. If there's two, two apples on the table and someone puts two more apples on the table, it is a fact that there are four apples on the table. Not so fast, racist. The Oregon Department of Education recently encouraged teachers to register for training. Now, my wife has to go through this kind of crap. Training that encourages ethnomathematics. Ethnomathematics. And it argues, among other things, that white supremacy manifests itself in the focus on finding the right answer. I, got, I have to read that again. White supremacy manifests itself in the focus on finding the right answer. They have so deconstructed and changed and bastardized the definition of white supremacy that now it means focusing on finding the right answer. Talk about the bigotry of low expectations. Who doesn't believe that kids can do math? People of color can do math. Who, who doesn't believe it in this scenario? The math teacher trying to teach 2 plus 2 equals 4? Or this professor, this whatever, advocate, activist? who's arguing that it's white supremacist to try and find the right answer. An ODE newsletter sent last week advertises a Pathway to Math Equity microcourse, which is designed for middle school teachers to make use of a toolkit for, quote, dismantling racism in mathematics. The event 
website identifies the event as a partnership between California, San Mateo County, and the Education Trust West and others, in case you're interested in who actually is doing this particular one. Part of the toolkit includes a list of ways white supremacy culture, which I guess is established as a thing, allegedly, quote, infiltrates math classrooms. Those include the focus on getting the right answer, students being required to, I'm sorry, students be, being, quote, required to show their work and other alleged manifestations. Show their work. I teach math. The reason why you show your work is so that you can diagnose where something went wrong in the problem. And it benefits the students so they can get partial credit, at least for the teacher following their line of reasoning. Also prevents cheating. Concept of mathematics being purely objective is unequivocally false. That's a quote. The concept of mathematics being purely objective is unequivocally false. It's not even worth having an argument about. Math is not purely objective. Two apples on the table, two more apples on the table. Don't tell me there's four apples on the table. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what to say. But this toolkit, help, quote, helps educators learn key tools for engagement, develop strategies to improve equitable outcomes for black, Latinx, and multilingual students, and join communities of practice. So... <laughs> I don't even know if I have to say anything else. It's amazing. Equitable outcomes. That's the key. And this is where this is where my argument always ends up being essentially this. When you do these things, you take away people's agency. In other words, you take away their own self, their own meanness, their 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 agency to make choices and have those choices have outcomes. That's called freedom. If you arrange it so that everyone ends up with the same grade, no matter what answer they gave, because it creates a better outcome, not only are you showing incredible bigotry to people who you expect can't get the right answer, and there's going to be planes dropping out of the sky. Because if these people are forced into positions where they have to do math calculations and it doesn't matter what the answer is, I mean, it's, it's, that, that is unequivocally false. I, I can't believe I'm reading this. I could go on and on and on to read about the dismantling racism workbook. Objectivity is a problem. The belief that there's such a thing as being objective is a characteristic of white supremacy. You've got to be flipping kidding me. There should be at least two answers to the problem. There could be four apples on the table or five. There could be four apples or three. Why not a million? Why not infinity answers to the problem? Oh, wait, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm using logic. Logic is a, is a manifestation of white supremacy, so I guess I can't even ask that question. It is a dismantling of reality. Do you really want people like this? Do you really not expect people to be able to learn? Who's racist? Crazy. So anyway, they on um, I think Pete Hegseth interviewed a woman, uh, Dr. Swain, who used to be a professor at Vanderbilt, African American woman. And I want you to listen to her reaction to this, because the only conclusion you can draw, if you believe any of this nonsense, is that this woman is a sellout to her race. Listen to what she says. 
have a question. I wonder if those Board of Education members would want their own children taught that 2.2 equals 9. And the problem with that racism is that it ensures that minority youth that are taught by teachers who follow that curriculum will be turning out students who can never be mathematicians, they can never be scientists, they can never be engineers or pharmacists because engineering requires mathematical precision, otherwise buildings and bridges collapse. She makes a good point, right? She makes a good point. And I'm at, how do you call her racist? She's African American. Pharmacists, if they cannot, if they don't understand math, they would kill uh, patients because they'd never be able to fill the prescriptions. And so um, it is lunacy of the political left. And so I would encourage white people that are on board with that kind of diversity training. Ask yourself, do you want your children taught that way? Because I fear that everyone's child is going to be taught that nonsense. And the only hope we have comes from homeschoolers as well as those people who have their children in schools that are teaching traditional education. Amen. Amen. Nothing needs to be added to that. So I will continue. I'm going to move on to the um, Oakley board member caught um, speaking quite disrespectfully of parents um, on what she thought was a closed meeting of the Board of Education. And this is in regard to uh, teachers going back to school, whether or not they want to go back, if they're going to go back as it relates to COVID and all that. Let me just, I just got to play it for it. It's about a minute long. I just want you to hear it all, especially pay attention to when she realizes that she's caught. Listen to this. It takes a second here. I don't have milky crowd. I honestly don't care about that. And what was believed to be a closed session? Are we alone? Yeah. <laughs> if you're going to call me out, I'm going to you up. <laughs> Oakley Union Elementary School Board members are sounding off, not knowing parents were listening and even recording the unfiltered conversation they want to pick on us because they want their babysitter back. Right. Right. And unhinged comments towards parents who want to reopen school campuses. Now, I kind of see both sides. I have to admit, I kind of see both sides. If you're teaching in a place that's equal to just suffering, and it's because of the system, and almost every inner city school district is run by Democrats, with Democrat ideologies, like this, like like math is racist, and discipline codes that don't let you actually manage behavior. And I'm so sorry to keep banging on them, but it is a reality. 25 years of experience speaking. So I can kind of see teachers... I can see, kind of see, I understand that parents, some parents do want their babysitters back because that's that's what some of them consider school to be. And they can get food and, you know, air conditioning or heat. They can get people there that care about them. Inner city kids want to go to school. That might be a myth. I mean, some don't, of course, some don't, but most do. It's It's probably the safest place in their life for many of them. I know from firsthand experience. So I know those kids want to go back. And I and I think the majority of teachers want to go back. But I do also understand some hesitancy in, in maybe, uh, I don't want to say taking advantage of, but um, gaining the benefit of 
being able to teach remotely. So I'll let the, this board member continue to speak for herself. When you got your kids at home, the sentiments are not sitting well among parents. I feel that that was a slap in the face to not only PTA members, not only to teachers, by calling them babysitters. Greg Hetrick, the superintendent, says in a statement to KCRA, these comments are not typical, and more importantly, they are not what the community should expect from our school district. Shame on you for saying those things about people. Shame on you for um, belittling us. That's how most parents that I know feel right now is a slap in the face. Hedrick adds he will hold himself accountable, stating, I will not make excuses for what happened or why it happened. And good for him. He has since stepped down. The board president, I think, I don't know if they're talking about the superintendent or the board president, but the board president has resigned. And, and I guess it's up for debate whether or not that's typical. It seemed to be uh, accepted comfortably by the others that were at that meeting. I didn't see any outrage until it was discovered that the, the conference call was public. So, I don't know. Make, that, make of that what you will. Uh, I'm going to move right on, though, to now. We're talking about gender, right? And even Joe Biden said, when he was talking about the nurse angels, he said... Men and women nurse angels. So apparently Joe Biden thinks there's such a thing as men and women. I got to give him credit for following the science on that. Biology does say that there are men and women. Um, I hope I don't get like deplatformed for saying that. Or that 2 plus 2 equals 4. I mean, it's pretty soon. I'm sure they're coming. But this is um, a skit. From Saturday Night Live in the 80s. I remember seeing it when it first came out and laughing uproariously. But it's about this person um, who is so androgynous that the people in her, his, her, zer, its life can't tell whether she's male or female. And it's, it, she's kind of characterized as a little bit gross. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm just sharing with you what Saturday Night Live thought was funny. In 1980. Let's listen to this together. Take a second to queue up. Bun well, thanks. Oh, you're welcome. Have a nice weekend. You too. After you, sir. Going into a drugstore. Man called her sir. Poor ma'am. Thank you. She's really funny. She's been in many other things. But it's like a, her hair is kind of curly, like sort of permish. Could go either way, male or female. Her face is a very typical shaped face. Tough to tell. Either a kind of a butch woman or effeminate man, depending on how you see it. The body's kind of like pear-shaped, a little bit doughy. Also difficult to tell from the body 
structure, whether it's a male or a female. And she keeps doing this thing where she goes, which I guess makes her seem kind of gross. So if you can't, if you've never seen it and you want a picture, that's what's going on. She's about to be tended to by the drugstore attendant. because it's so uncomfortable. Um, the woman playing the, the drugstore clerk is uh, Kathleen O'Hara. She's really funny. Um, she's really funny. She must have been the star, like the, you know, the guest host for Saturday Night Live on, the, on this day. But she's very funny. I have to purchase something else. <laughs> what is it? Antiperspirant. Roll on or spray. Is there anything on science, but you have to ignore biology. 
So, I don't know. It was a much funnier time. Stuff that was funny was actually able to be laughed at without people getting canceled. Who knows? I may be canceled. This may be my last episode. I hope not, because I'm having a really good time. And with that, I have come to my end. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode of Sam Walking the World. I know I will see you again soon. Thank you.